your parents were like, keep eating that TV dinner and just shut up. You'll reproduce that TV dinner here in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is the Salisbury steak looked the same coming out as it did going in. And the corn, of course, just helped it move along. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. It's a fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. Tonight, we start on season two. My name is Dana Smith, and my friend and co-host is Dan Calzaretta. Hey, Dan. Dana, we are into season two. That's so exciting. Yeah, there's times I never thought we'd get here. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> we made it. There's times our listeners were hoping we would never get here. <laughs> Aren't these guys going to quit? They're going to quit any time now, right? <laughs> but they keep coming back for more. You know, it's just the uh, listeners keep coming back for more, Dan. And they're bringing their friends with them, too. So we're very fortunate. And it's an international crowd. People can accidentally tune in anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've gotten emails from Austria and Australia. Both. And yeah, I no longer confuse the two. New Zealand, I think we got something from. Yeah. We're worldwide. That's that's true. It is called the World Wide Web. Yeah, you keep reminding me of that, but it just sounds so good to say that. I was going to say something. Yeah, both of us. See, both of us. We were going to say things and we can't remember what we were going to say. I gave blood tonight. I've got an excuse. Yeah, oh, so. you did. Okay. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Yeah, weird thing. The woman pricks my finger here. She puts the Band-Aid here. <laughs> kind of like, see where that blood's coming out? That's where you put the Band-Aid. <laughs> Why do they do the middle finger? She asked oh. which middle finger I wanted. Mm -hmm. So it could have been the ring finger. But Wait, I always that's not a middle finger. What? What? Oh, you got two. Those are the two in the middle. No. <laughs> that, it doesn't work that way. Because then you could say that you've got three in the middle. I mean, I know the thumb's technically not a finger. You've got your left middle finger, and your, I mean, and your right middle finger. Unless you're missing one of those fingers and or hands or arms. I'm just saying the way it looks. It, it's not an actual middle finger. What do you if mean you... it's not a middle finger? It is a middle finger. It's 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 number three of five. That's right in the middle. Am I missing something here, Dana? Yeah, you're missing that. We're we're thirty seconds into the show and we're already rambling about something that's got nothing to do with the show. Welcome to season two. Yeah. Well, when I give blood, you know, they ask me what finger. I always say the middle finger, and then I can say this way I can give you the finger. They never think it's funny, Dana. Never. Go figure. Yeah. They probably hear that a million times. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to hurt a bit for you. Yeah. Not a bit. <laughs> Let me get the big knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the knife. <laughs> Not the little thing that pokes a hole, but we're just, we're going to get a knife for you. <laughs> yeah. It's a rusty, dirty thing. It's been, been in the bottom of the case for who knows how long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It actually is a knife from a crime scene that, you know, <laughs> they just don't need anymore. They drop those off at the, at the blood clinic. See, we scrape some of this blood off and use it for your donations. Okay, so not only have we rambled for like five <laughs> minutes, but the Red Cross is going to hate us. We we both give blood on the regular, right? As soon as we oh, get yeah. blood, we give blood. Both of us do. Next time we go in, some flashing screen, <laughs> you know, it's going to be like a red alert thing. Are you the guy who does the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you listen? No, but you're not welcome. Here, we're going to have Blind Betty do your uh, blood draw. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now we got the Red Cross hates us, the vision impaired. <laughs> oh, man. 
So getting back to the show, why we're why we're here. Well, we, we do need that brings up a good point though, Dana. <laughs> You've had some feedback about the Ramble Jar. People like the Ramble Jar. Then they and mostly they want to know how much money is in the Ramble Jar. I forgot what we came here for. It's been ten minutes already. We did have a little break between seasons and we talked a lot about Riverside, Iowa, and we interviewed a couple people from the area. Steve Miller, who came up with the idea of naming Riverside the future birthplace of Captain James T. Kirk, and Travis Riggin, who is the current chairperson of TrekFest. Great interviews. We really appreciate their time, but now it's time to move on to season two. But Dana, before we do that, Julie did send us a message through YouTube and said, please post more episodes of the podcast for the second season. You're the best. Well, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So she wants us to get started on season two. So I think we're just about to do that. And while she's listening to this, she's going, why are they rambling so much? I just want to talk about the freaking show. (laughs) (laughs) It's a balancing act, I I know. This week, Dan, we're talking about a muck time. This was an episode that the executives at NBC want to be in season one. Instead, it starts off season two, even though it was the fifth episode filmed. So the first thing we see is uh, Captain Kirk climbing up a ladder onto a deck. He looks like he's kind of in a rush. I'm, I'm thinking he came from the executive bathrooms. <laughs> And he he left something there and he wants to distance himself. Well, he was in a hurry to get up that ladder. Yeah, he was. And then McCoy stops him and he seems kind of a little bit perturbed that McCoy stops him. Kind of like, let's just keep moving. Let's move away from the the ladder (laughs) from the executive bathroom. And McCoy is saying, you know, he's worried about Spock. He says he's growing restless and he's stopped eating. Kirk kind of shrugs it off. McCoy tells Kirk that Spock had said, keep out of his personal business or he'd break his neck. Now, we don't hear Spock saying that, but it's clear that it did disturb McCoy, right? Yeah. Then uh, they see uh, Nurse Chapel, and she's going towards Spock's quarters, and McCoy calls to her, and she reveals that she's got some uh, plomeek soup, Vulcan soup. She said, since he's not eating, I thought he'd appreciate this. What, what do you think's in that soup? I don't know what the delicacies are on Vulcan. I haven't looked that up. Well, he's vegetarian. We know that, right? That's kind of Star Trek canon. One of the later episodes, we definitely find that out. But it's also implied in City on the Edge of Forever, where Kirk goes out to go grocery shopping. He says, I've got some assorted vegetables for you and a hard roll and bologna for me, which explains maybe why Kirk was running away from the executive bathroom. <laughs> Maybe he'd uh, coupled that with some Limburger cheese that uh, they got from the shuttlecraft. <laughs> Chapel goes into Spock's quarters. The door just opens up and she goes in. Once again. All of a sudden, Spock's yelling and she comes out screaming. And then the bowl of soup goes flying by. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. And he's shouting at her that if he wanted anything from her, he says he would have asked for it. And uh, he stops in the doorway. He demands that Captain Kirk grant him leave of absence on his home planet Falcon. Yeah, and Kirk and McCoy are kind of shocked with this display of anger and flying soup. I think it's a flying soup more than anything that yeah. really got him. Yeah. So Because that soup, if it's a Vulcan soup, it's leaving a stain that's not coming out of that wall. <laughs> Yeah, just kind of like what Kirk left in the uh, executive bathroom. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk asks, what is this about? And Spock replies, 
All I need from you is an answer, yes or no. And, and then he slams the door. Well, you know, the door slides shut. But it's it, it, if he could have slammed it, he would have slammed it. Oh, yeah. So the next thing we see is Spock and Kirk are discussing the situation in Spock's quarters. Spock is kind of extra surly and demands shore leave on Vulcan. Okay, hold on a second. The quarters, though, Dana. Well, they had to make the quarters look Spock-like, I suppose, whatever that means. But on the back wall, there is this kind of like red curtain and a little bit of a flashing light back there. But there's some big stuffed creature. It's like a statue that's holding the flashing light. You know, I paused it to really kind of look at it. And it looked like kind of like a bear. You know, it had brown fur. But it looked like a bear that had had a huge chest. And so I don't know, is this a bear that they have on Vulcan? What was this thing? What what, what did you take it as? But wasn't the, I thought it was like arms or hands that was holding like a glowing ball that kind of like glowed different colors. They said it was something that was seen in another episode. It was like a statue. And But did you, did you notice also hanging like on those curtains was some type of axe? I mean, it was very violent looking. It was, there was a couple weapons I thought hanging from the curtain. Yeah. So, I mean, what was that? I, I just, uh, I have no clue really what that thing was. Again, I think uh, our listeners can help us out with the yeah. It looked like it probably belonged on a pleasure planet, actually. You know, some kind of room <laughs> that you'd, you know, kind of take some respite from the troubles and tribulations of the outside world with a companion that looks like a bear. <laughs> <laughs> So Kirk tells Spock that they're going to Altair 6 for this event and that uh, after Altair 6, uh, he can get him to Vulcan or he can just take his leave on Altair 6. Spock disagrees. He insists that he takes his leave on Vulcan. And then we see that Spock has something behind his back. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if it's a letter opener or a small knife. Looked like a shiv to me. Yeah. Like he had fashioned it out of a spoon, you know, a spork or something. Yeah. <laughs> a spork. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, something that you would find in a prison. Yeah. And Kirk just really kindly asks, you know, what is wrong? I mean, Kirk doesn't see the knife. Spock is like forcing himself to be calm. He says, I need rest and I'm requesting leave on Vulcan. And again, even though he's like trying to be calm, his words have a certain venom to him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kirk says, what do we look like an Uber to you? Try calling a lift. Yeah. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, because this this event on Altair 6 seems to be pretty important for some reason, some diplomatic reason, I guess. Back on the bridge, Kirk gets a message from Starfleet Command saying that they need to be at Altair 6 and to proceed there immediately. Chekhov, this is the first time we see Chekhov. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. With his very bad Beatles wig. Bad wig. Really <laughs> yeah, bad. It's so obvious. Yeah. You know, I paused on that scene too. And I was like, what? You didn't need to have high definition television, even in the 60s to see that wig. <laughs> well, they show from the side first. And it's like, why are you pointing out that this is a wig? Yeah. He turns and you see his face and just a bad Beatles wig. Do you think that that was one of like uh, Shatner's castaway wigs? He's like, I don't need this anymore. I think that's his like weekend wig, you know, where he goes out kind of incognito. <laughs> <laughs> I think they got this from uh, Dolores down the hall, the, the cleaning lady. It fell off into the bucket or something, and uh, they just picked it up and going, hey, look, we need a guy that looks like one of the Beatles. You know, so. <laughs> she was cleaning the executive bathroom on the Enterprise. <laughs> Who left the Schmitter in there? Yeah. <laughs> Schmitter comes up again. Oh, it's not going away, Dan. No, 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 no. Schmitter. 
In fact, just to take a little tangent, Schmitter and our whole Schmitter discussions, those were some of the most popular things from last season, I think, <laughs> with our with our listeners. We got a lot of comments on the Schmitter and people are using it in normal conversations on Facebook now. We've started something, Dan. Yeah, I'm using it around the house too. <laughs> yeah, I used it at work and uh, my, my boss just looked at me like, what's wrong with you? So, uh... <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. Yeah, no worries. So Chekhov with the Bad Beatles wig says at warp six, they will get to Altair six in time, but they cannot stop at Vulcan. Kirk looks at Spock, who is listening, and uh, goes up to Spock and says, sorry, sailor's luck. And then he promises Spock he will get his leave as soon as they are finished at Altair six. And you can see that Spock is not happy, but he doesn't say anything. And so then they kind of move on. And the next thing we see is Kirk in his quarters laying on the bed. And I'm surprised he had a shirt on. Yeah. Kirk is kind of like, seems a little restless and he finally like turns to his computer or monitor and flips it on and calls Chekhov. And he asks, how late would we be if we diverted to Vulcan? And Chekhov says, we're on course to Vulcan as Mr. Spock ordered. So, you know, now we know the Schmitter is going to hit the fan. <laughs> there it is again. So the next thing we see is uh, Kirk on the bridge and he asks to speak to Spock. He's standing by the turbo lift and he's got his hands on his hips and he's like, Mr. Spock, a second please. Spock comes over to him and he asks why he changed course to Vulcan. And Spock says he doesn't remember doing it. And then he asks to be locked in his quarters as he does not want to be seen like this. Kirk orders him to sickbay. And so they stop the turbo lift and Spock gets off and he, he looks kind of like he's drunk or dazed. And then he reports to sickbay. <laughs> he tells McCoy, I've done what I was ordered to do and now I'll be in my quarters. Yeah, that was good. McCoy talks to him and finally convinces him to submit to a medical exam. And Spock replies, go ahead. For all the good it will do either of us. You know, the the mystery that's developed here is deepening. And they do a good job, I think, with creating mysteries on this show. Yeah. So then we see Kirk in his quarters again. He's Now he's sitting at his desk working. So McCoy comes in and says, you've got to get Spock to Vulcan. And Kirk says, I will. And McCoy cuts him off and says, if you don't get Spock to Vulcan in a week, eight days at the most, he'll die. Go to commercials. So they left everybody hanging there. And I'm sure, you know, back in the 60s, yeah, you didn't have the ability to fast forward or anything. So you're yeah. just like hanging on, waiting for dear life to find out what the hell is going to happen to Spock. People have taken a Schmidt. They've <laughs> maybe gotten a beer or maybe a TV dinner. We're, oh, we're, man. Were TV dinners big in 67? Oh, we used to eat them. You, you think right in that time was when TV dinners became pretty oh, big? I think TV dinners have been around since the 50s. Okay. So I'm just wondering when they became like really big. Uh, I just remember those Swanson Salisbury steak. Oh God, TV I love dinners. the Salisbury steak one. Yeah. That was a good one. That was. Yeah. That's that's what we always asked for. God, there was just nothing but yeah. salt and <laughs> maybe what was left on the killing floor at the <laughs> meatpacking plant. A lot of fat. Yeah. A lot oh of fat. yeah. So. Fat and salt. And remember the, uh, like the gravy and if it cooled off at all, it got to be this like gelatinous Oh, yeah. Mess. And then you always had the one section that had like the vegetables in it that you left the foil on. Yeah. Or took it off. I can't remember. You had to cut off a section. Oh, the dessert. The dessert. You always had the dessert too. Yeah. 
I forgot about that. Yeah, they'd be like a cobbler, like a raspberry yeah. cobbler or something. or Cobbler my ass. That's just, <laughs> that's... Well, I mean, I'm using what the terms they would have used, you know. Yeah, it was like apple pie, you know, yeah, it just it all tasted the same. Yeah, oh, it tasted yeah. like the Salisbury steak, but there was uh, with like fruit on it. Yeah, because yeah, so. there'd be leakage, right? I mean, the gravy, <laughs> I'm using that term loosely would get into everything else in the tray yeah i remember my parents going out and we'd watch star trek or whatever was on and my brothers and i'd be like oh salisbury steak yeah you know and sometimes it was turkey oh yeah turkey cut with uh mashed potatoes uh-huh and some usually some dressing with the turkey yeah yeah do you think anyone's doing retro TV dinners, you know, like you could get, or maybe they never stopped. I haven't looked in the TV dinner aisle in probably 40 years. I don't know when last time I looked. Hey, you know, that's what we should do next week. Okay. <laughs> Got an idea. <laughs> do the podcast and have TV dinners as we, uh, as we do the podcast. Yeah. Like we'll each get an, as the old school of a TV dinner as we can find. <laughs> We'll do the podcast and then maybe do a little review of the TV dinner as well. I'm willing to bet if we check the date, though some will say best served before December 4th, 1968. Yeah, it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> like the ones way in the back of the freezer. <laughs> yeah. All right, we should do that. Let's maybe we'll hear from some listeners. Look, listeners, if you want us to do a TV dinner, a little review, we won't spend long on it. We'll probably spend less time than we spent now talking about it, but. And more time throwing up. Yeah. So it's a... <laughs> well, that'd be afterwards. It takes a while, right? To get sick from those probably. Yeah, sure. Maybe we'll get some TV dinner company to be our first official sponsor. <laughs> yeah, not now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <we're, laughs> well we, we didn't say we were that we did throw up. We say we probably will throw up. This could be a journey. Yeah, so, uh... <laughs> <laughs> to the hospital. <laughs> or the bathroom <laughs> yeah. like i gotta go hold on dana I, might, this might take me a few minutes <laughs> don't take the mic with you <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right <laughs> How did we get started on this one? Oh, my God. This one, definitely the ramble jar is coming out. It, it has to. Yeah. All right, hold on. I'm putting money in. All right. We were talking about what? <laughs> that Spock's going to die if he doesn't get to Vulcan in eight days or less. Okay. How that, <laughs> How that devolved into TV dinners, I don't even remember now, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we come back from commercial and the TV dinner. Oh, that's what it was. We talking about a commercial, and they're probably eating TV dinners during the commercial. <laughs> and Kirk asks why, and McCoy says, "I don't know." And Kirk says, "Are you a doctor or aren't you?" And I just love that. He's always like going after McCoy when he like you know says something that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And McCoy explains that there's a growing imbalance of body functions. He says if it doesn't stop, the physical and emotional pressures will kill him because he ate a TV dinner. <laughs> So Kirk goes to Spock in his quarters and Spock is obviously struggling. Kirk convinces him 
to speak about it. And Spock says it's a deeply personal thing. Kirk says that he will keep anything Spock says confidential. And Spock says it has to do with biology, Vulcan biology. Kirk says, biology? Like reproduction? And Spock says, yes. And Kirk says, well, you know, there's no need to be embarrassed about it, Mr. Spock. And I thought he was going to give him like, you know, the, the facts of life. Because <laughs> he kind of like sidles up next to him. It's like, well, the, it happens to the birds and the bees, you know. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God. He's going to like tell him how reproduction happens. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's walk over to this bear thing that you've got. <laughs> and let me demonstrate. <laughs> I got to run in my quarters and get the stalactite. But, but then we're really going to show you how this works. Spock says the birds and the bees are not Vulcans, Captain. And then he explains that uh, this time that he's going through, Vulcans have their logic ripped from them. And then he explains how Vulcans choose their mates. And he says it's not logical. It's a custom that brings a madness, rips away the very veneer of civilization, the pond far, the time of mating. The Vulcans are driven by forces they cannot control. They return home to take a wife or die or to Take a wife and wish you had died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we do need to make this absolutely clear, Dana. This does not apply to you or me. This is not the case for us. Correct. We live long and prosper because of our wives. That's right. So Kirk says, I will get you to Vulcan. So next we see Kirk and McCoy are talking to the Admiral, and Kirk is saying that they must divert to Vulcan. And the Admiral is unhappy as they're not giving him a reason why. So the Admiral says the event on Altair 6 is of vital importance. And Kirk argues, but the Admiral says he cannot allow it and he needs to go to Altair 6. After the Admiral signs off, Kirk says he's still going to take Spock to Vulcan. I owe my life a dozen times over. Isn't that worth a career? He's my friend. So he calls Chekhov and asks him to lay in course for Vulcan. And Chekhov says that's already plotted. And at one point, Chekhov and Sulu are talking. How do you figure it, Chekhov? First we're going to Vulcan. Then we're going to Altair. Then we're headed to Vulcan again. Now we're headed back to Altair. I think I'm going to get spacesick. It's a good line by Chekhov. I mean... For the first episode that he's in, I thought he had a couple of good lines in this episode. Yeah, definitely. And they they develop a rapport between him and Sulu right away. Yeah. Nurse Chapel was in the room with Kirk and McCoy when they call Chekhov and say that, you know, we're going to Vulcan. So Chapel runs off. She's excited about this news and wants to see Spock. She goes in his room and he's laying down. Uh, she stands by him and it looks like she wants to touch him. And then she turns to go and Spock calls her. And then he sits up on the bed and he says he was having a dream about her. Yeah, see, Dana, this part was weird. Yeah. And then he says, it wouldn't be logical for us to protest against our natures. And Chapel's kind of backed up into this doorway of his bedroom, and she has a tear running down her face. And it's a hugely fake tear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It just never moved. It was just there. Yeah. Like... <laughs> it's, it's like they painted it on her. Yeah. Spock reaches out and brushes the tear. She says, I came to tell you we're going to Vulcan. She turns to leave and he says, Nurse Chapel. And she keeps her back to him and says, my name is Christine. And Spock calls her Christine and very kindly asks that she make the Vulcan soup again. And then she gets this big smile on her face and she says, I'd be most happy to. And she runs out of the room. Yeah. This whole scene, Dana. They could have done without it, I think, really. Because it starts to take us in a different direction almost, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a bit confusing. Mm -hmm. 
The one thing I like during this is then I think this is the first time they did this in the series is they use this bass guitar that's almost like a James Bond type thing to build tension and it's it's almost becomes like Spock's theme. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they used a lot in, in this scene. So Spock requests that Kirk and McCoy beam down to the planet with him, as it is his right to have a friend with him. Kirk and McCoy are obviously honored that Spock is inviting them along. Yeah, I did love this scene, Dana. I mean, you know, we knew that he would invite Kirk, right? Yeah. But that he brought McCoy with him. Of course, it's going to play into the plot in a little bit, but, but it's also kind of cool that he considers McCoy a friend of his as well. Yeah, definitely. On the bridge, there's a message from Vulcan coming in, and this pretty woman appears on the screen. And then Uhura asks, she's beautiful. Who is she? And Spock says, my wife. And everyone just looks shocked. Shocked. Yeah, totally shocked. Yeah including Nurse Chapel. So they beam down to the planet. Kirk and McCoy say that the air is thinner than the Earth and very hot. And McCoy says, now I know what it means when they say hot as Vulcan. Spock explains that he was betrothed to to Pring at age seven, that they were locked together spiritually until this time of Kuno Kalafi. Kalafi. Kuno Kalafi. We we have a hard time with the names. We're not getting this one. (laughs) You know, I was saying it earlier to myself, and I thought I had it right. (laughs) That ain't happening. So they they got married at seven. So in Alabama, that's like middle-aged. Yeah, but I mean, by the time you're eight, you already got grandkids, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, Alabama. So the mistress of the ceremony comes as Tupal. This is the first time we ever meet any other Vulcans. That's true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So we learn that women's names start with like a T apostrophe. Men's names often start with an S. Kirk recognizes uh, T'Pau as the only person ever to turn down a seat on the Federation Council, one of the most famous and respected Vulcans alive. Kirk says, I had no idea his family was this important. So uh, Spock introduces Kirk and McCoy as his friends to T'Pau. So it looks like the marriage ceremony is going to go on. There's all these guys going around shaking these big tambourine things and Spock keeps going over and hitting this gong and then uh, things change. T'Pau announces that the wedding's going to begin and Spock goes to bang the gong. T'Pring stops Spock from banging the gong. When you say banging the gong, you mean just literally there's a gong there that he's banging with like a hammer. Yes. I want our listeners to be clear that in this case, there are no euphemisms. For once. Yeah. For once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool because the, the gong things were rectangular shaped almost, you know, there's a specific word for like rhomboid shaped. Wow. Dana. Rhomboid. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm done. <laughs> Rest of everything I'm going to say next is just single syllable. So that's a... I did like this set a lot. I thought it was pretty cool. Even the way I would say that the Vulcans were dressed, a tiny bit hokey. I think what they were really trying to do was give us a, a taste and a, and a feel for uh, Vulcan and the Vulcan culture. Yeah, definitely. T'Pring announces she would rather not marry Spock. T'Pring invokes the Calafi. So this is her right to have Spock fight for her. Spock retreats to the side of the platform and he's all like hunched over and speechless and looks like he's possessed or something something. His his eyes are kind of rolling up in his head. Yeah, it looks like he's meditating, but not in a calm, nice way. It looks like I've looked a few times, I think, on the can. Can't get one out. (laughs) That's not the Salisbury steak issue talking about. 
No, no, no. That's that's something else entirely. So Kirk tries to speak with him, and T'Pau warns him off, explaining that he is deep in Plakto. <laughs> I'm glad that you've got to say these, Dana, because I, <laughs> I got no clue. <laughs> Spock looks like he is just not himself. And so T'Pring chooses Kirk as her champion. And there's this other dude standing behind her that obviously is like eyeing her the whole time. You know, you're expecting him him to be her champion. So they're even looking at that guy standing back there, Kirk and McCoy are. And Kirk asks McCoy, do you think Spock can take him? And McCoy's like, in his current state, I don't know. Spock says his friend does not know what this means. And Tapao says, this is the way. And then McCoy says, uh, he can't do it. Kirk says, it's no big deal. I knock Spock out and it's over. Or I, or I quit and he wins. Everybody walks away happy. Next thing you see is that they bring out these big weapons. It's like a big long stick with a blade on one end and like this big stone thing on the other. Yeah, it was cool looking. I like those weapons. They're cool. Yeah, I thought it was great design, really. Yeah. Kirk kind of looks at it and then Tapao then says, this combat is to the death. We cut back to Spock, and Spock looks like he's ready to kill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going to take Kirk out. Yeah. So Spock comes out ready to go, and they start fighting. And I thought that the stuntman that they used for Spock was better than season one. Yeah, not not as much of a flat Frankenstein-looking head and glossy hair. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy that was Kirk, if you closed your eyes, he kind of looked like Kirk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but right away, Kirk gets his shirt cut. Yeah, that was a good scene. I love that. Yeah, it's just it happens pretty quickly. Yeah. So as the fight goes on and Kirk is kind of getting beat up and you can see he's, he's wearing down fast, McCoy asks T'Pau if he can give Kirk a shot. He says, you know, he doesn't stand a chance with this air and heat. She says, finally says yes. So McCoy goes and gives Kirk a shot. And then they bring out these uh, long, like, belt type things. And they have, like, big, heavy balls on the end, right? Yeah. Right away, Spock uses his to, like, wrap it around Kirk's leg and knocks him down, pulls his feet out from under him. Kirk gets out of that and they fight and tumble around some more. Spock finally gets Kirk by the neck and strangles him. And Kirk finally expires. So McCoy goes over and Spock's like holding Kirk up by the belt around his neck and he just drops him. McCoy announces that Kirk is dead. So McCoy calls the ship and asks to be ready to beam up the landing party. Spock says he will follow McCoy and Kirk up and then orders McCoy to tell Chekhov to plot a course for the nearest starbase where Spock will surrender himself to the authorities. Spock goes to T'Pring and asks her to explain. She says she chose Stan and that's the dude that we thought Spock was going to be fighting. Right. And Stan chose her. And then he tells Stan, and I love this. After a time, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting. It is not logical, but it is often true. Wish somebody told me that with my first wife. Yeah, Yeah, it was a great line by Spock. You know, the interesting thing here, though, was there was a a female ruler. This woman, T'Pring, is obviously very smart. She has this whole very logical reason for the choices that she made. And she seems to be very empowered, you know, which, again, I think maybe that was something Star Trek as as a series was trying to promote. There's got to be something to that because in so many other shows, they're so male-dominated. Spock goes to T'Pau and says, live long and prosper. And she repeats this back to him. And he says, I shall do neither. I have killed my captain and my friend. 
and Spock looks very sad. So back on the ship, we see Spock enter sickbay. Uh, McCoy is there with Nurse Chapel, and he says he will resign his position at once. And then he tells McCoy that Mr. Scott must take command of the Enterprise. Then Kirk comes in from behind from another room and playfully asks, don't you think you better check with me first? And seeing Kirk alive, Spock betrays his joy by calling the captain Jim with a big smile, which he quickly suppresses when he realizes that Chapel and McCoy have seen it. Kirk then reveals that McCoy did not just give him a triox injection, but a neural paralyzer to simulate death. I thought that was a great twist that they included in the show. When asked about the final outcome of the marriage, Spock explains that uh, when he thought he had killed Kirk, he no longer had any interest in T'Pring. So then you see McCoy's got this kind of like wry smile on his face and uh, he says, there's just one thing, Mr. Spock. You can't tell me that when you first saw Jim alive that you weren't on the verge of giving us an emotional scene that would have brought the house down. Merely my quite logical relief that Starfleet had not lost the highly proficient captain. Yes, Mr. Spock, I understand. Thank you, Captain. Of course, Mr. Spock. Your reaction was quite logical. Thank you, Doctor. And a pig's eye. We see uh, Kirk and Spock walk out of the room. Everybody's happy, except for Nurse Chapel. Never got souped. (laughs) 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 I thought it was a great ending. And it solidifies, again, this banter between the three of them, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. You know, the McCoy and Spock thing. It's just, it's classic. The, The show wouldn't have been as good without it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, totally agree. So Dana, what did you come up with dilemmas or themes for this episode? To me, it boiled down to friendship. The willingness to take risks for friends, uh, to go the extra mile, put your career on the line. To me, that's what was the main theme behind it. Well, Dana, what did you have for a best part of this episode? I have actually a lot of things uh, I thought were great in this episode, uh, starting with Spock's distress and his anger thought they they played that up really well and and showed it so there was no doubt about what was going on with him. How about you, Dan? Do you got something for us? The whole Spock, McCoy, Kirk banter at the end, I just thought it was great. It builds on what we saw in season one, and I think it, it well, I know that it's just going to continue to build throughout the series. How about you, Dana? How about another one? DeForest Kelly's name is in the opening credits. And last year, where did they show that? He was always in the end credits. Let's move on to the worst, Dan. What was the worst part for you? Even though I really liked the fight scene and the whole ending part, there were a couple of times where the camera was doing these weird angles, looking up from the ground or looking down or was kind of sideways a little bit. It just reminded me, it was kind of Batman, the original television series, you know, it was a little Batman-like. So I, I didn't like that. It kind of took me out of the moment. How about for you? How about a worst part? Nurse Chapel's gushing over Spock, but mostly it was the fake tear running down her cheek because <laughs> it just looked, I thought she had like some silver makeup. So you got another worst part for us, Dan? Dana, I'm not sure this is a worst part, but I'm going to throw it out there. The woman who played T'Pau sounded like Cloris Leachman in Young Frankenstein. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't kind of get beyond that. And I, you know, I was expecting her to say some Ovaltine, perhaps. <laughs> I just, I just couldn't get beyond that. I thought she was a great actress, really good, but I just couldn't get beyond the whole Cloris Leachman and Young Frankenstein thing. How about another worst part for you? Chekhov's wig. They said there's three episodes and uh, where he wears the wig. <laughs> Dana, what happened on this day in history when the show was originally broadcast? Dan, this was broadcast on September 15th, 1967. Not a whole lot happened on this date. There was the... uh 
tallest statue in the world was completed and it was called the Motherland Calls. And it remains the tallest statue in Europe and the tallest statue of a woman in the world. Commemorates the World War II Battle of Stalingrad and it stands 85 meters or 279 feet high. Also on this date, the number one song in the U.S. was Ode to Billy Joe by Bobby Gentry. I, I've got to take you back to the UK. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Our old friend, Engelbert Humperdinck, had the number one hit song in the UK on September 15th, 1967, with The Last Waltz. Dana, where are the Beatles? That's a damn good question, but... Apparently, uh, you know, people wanted Engelbert. Hey, did he ever get back to us about, we asked him to come on the show. Yeah, no, I don't know why he never uh, responded to us. (laughs) 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 A couple other TV notes we might want to mention. On September 14th, Batman began a third season on ABC despite declining ratings and added actress Yvonne Craig as Batgirl. On uh, September 16th, the detective series Mannix Starring Armenian-American actor Mike Connors as a private investigator began an eight-season run on American television. Let's move on to the counts. All right. So how about a dead crewman count for this week, Dana? I was thinking Spock was going to kill somebody, but it didn't happen. We almost had one. Yeah, and I, I don't think in this case... Kirk being dead counts because he wasn't really dead, right? He says that the shot simulated death. So zero this week, Dana, 26.5 as our tally so far. How about the shirtless Kirk, rip shirt Kirk count? Got one. Yeah, it was a good one too. We saw some blood. Blood and nipples. Does that count as extra? (laughs) Probably not, huh? So we got one this week for a total of 10. How about the he's dead count? Uh, Zero. Well, I I got I think we need to have a little debate on this one. So Kirk died. I mean, it looked like he died. And McCoy does say he's dead. And we have counted other episodes where he said he's dead, not he's dead Jim, or Jimmy's dead, where he just said he's dead. So I, I'd like to propose that we do count this one. Well, you're right. I completely forgot about that. I don't know how I could have. Well, but... you gave blood today, Dana. So we're going to count that one? I think we should. Yeah. He did say he's dead. Good. Okay. So we've got one for this week for a total of four. I'm a doctor and not a fill in the blank. That did not happen. So zero this week, a total of three. Supreme being count. Uh, Tapao was about the closest thing we saw to a Supreme being, but uh, she didn't show off her magic or anything. So I have to say zero. Yep. I agree with you. So total of six. The violation of the prime directive. That's zero. Zero. Okay. So we have a total of four. Dana, what do we have for next week? Next week, Dan, it's who mourns for Adonis. Plus, we'll name the winner of our first ever Damn It Jim survey. And Dan, do you want to tell all of our listeners what they'll win? Well, not everyone's going to win it, Dana. We can only choose one. That winner will get an official Collector's Series Star Trek Pez Dispenser set unopened. Wow. So make sure you get your survey in by noon Pacific time on Tuesday the 14th to be eligible for the grand prize. Yeah, so we'll put the link again in the show description and on Facebook so you can easily find it to fill out that survey. So Dan, before we go, something to think about. I was reading again that Star Trek IV anticipated film with Chris Pine and the crew from the Kelvin timeline. I've been having a lot of trouble getting the next film off the ground. I mean, we've heard about Quentin Tarantino directing and writing the, the story and there's just been problems with the script and directing 
directors have come and gone. I'm thinking maybe they should take something from season one. I was wondering, and we'll put this out to our our listeners on Facebook. Think about an episode from season one that the new Kelvin timeline crew should do a sequel to or a complete redo so long as it's not Wrath of Khan. Yeah, because that got done. Poorly? <laughs> yeah, by the reboot. Yeah, I mean, the original Rathacon was awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a fun idea. And then we can share our thoughts as well. Yeah. All right, Dana, once again, had a great time talking with you tonight about this episode. And I'll see you next week. Have a great rest of your week. Well, thanks again, Dan. As always, it's a pleasure. And for all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. And until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Join Dana and Dan next week for Who Mourns for Adonis. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week and remember to live long and prosper. Prosper.